This is Amstigator, a podcast founded on purpose, but focused on the path to get there. Experience is the best teacher, right? And in this season of Amstigator, we're going all in on female perspective of women and wisdom as we answer one specific question. What's the lesson here? Hey, welcome back to Amstigator. You guys are in for a real treat today because you're about to meet my therapist. For years, I've had this theory that you really can't know a person until you meet the person they've chosen to spend their life with, like their their spouse, their partner. Well, I'm expanding that theory out today. I think it's now you can't really know a person until you meet their therapist. And when you listen to Tanya Dixon, who you're about to meet, you'll see how she helps me because she exudes balance and stillness and presence in a way that, you know, I've just never seen. She is the reason that I'm okay. I say that confidently. I started seeing her in August of 2022 in the midst of my three hospitalizations. And if you're a regular listener, you know all about this. If this is your first time and you're like, what is she talking about? Go back to episode 31. It's called At What Cost? And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and how traumatic that time was and why Tanya's just been so important for me. But the way I started seeing Tanya isn't typical. I was actually set up with her on kind of like the therapy equivalent of a blind date by another podcast guest, actually. In season two, episode 23, I interviewed Clara Belden, and I called her episode The Untitled because she's a holistic life coach, and she helps people shed their labels and really see themselves for who they are, apart from other people. But Clara owns and runs The Happy Hour in Nashville. It's a mental health wellness boutique that houses lots of practitioners and different modalities to help you heal your mind. And Clara and I have become friends, and she just happened to text me this day in August on a day that I miraculously wasn't in the hospital. And she just texted, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm crying all the time. I'm afraid I'm getting sick again. I don't want to go back to the hospital. No one listens to me in the hospital. I don't know what's wrong. And then her next text was the turning point. She said, Tanya has an opening tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Can I book it for you? I mean, I don't know who Tanya is, but I'm just assuming at that point, I'm like, okay, this has got to be a therapist. But in that moment, sitting in my parked car in the Trader Joe's parking lot, I made the best decision I think I've ever made for my health. I said, yes, yes, book that appointment, yes. And then I just sat there and cried. At first, I started seeing Tanya twice a week because my PTSD was no joke. I really couldn't function without being able to go somewhere and just talk and cry. If I just needed to cry, I could just cry. Now, eventually, I stretched it to just going once a week and then once every other week and then every few weeks. But I am better because of this woman. She's helped me feel the connection to presence and how to allow myself time to keep learning it. So in this conversation you're about to listen to, you'll hear us talk about how she's helping people now and how it's different than even what people were coming to her for five years ago. We also spent a lot of time talking about mental health in athletes. Tanya was an NFL cheerleader for six years. She was even the Titans Pro Bowl cheerleader one year. And she now operates as a provider for the Hall of Fame Behavior Health Program that offers behavior health services for the NFL as well as other professional associations. She sees people through the happy hour where I see her, as well as through her own counseling practice. She's just an all-around good human who really does model the kinds of things that I know I have really needed lately. Balance, presence, and what it means to be truly well. This is Tanya Dixon with The Lesson. 
mental health matters. So we're in an interesting place where the tables are turning, right? Mm -hmm. This is my opportunity to ask you questions. Right. I, I feel like you probably never answer a lot of questions, certainly in this format. You spend most of your time asking the questions. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> does it make you uncomfortable to be uh, in the, you know, tables turn situation? It does not. This, it's actually a comfortable space for me. Oh, good. Talking is really comfortable for me. Um, I am so intrigued by how much protection you have to give yourself when you are constantly dealing with people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people could understand. You don't necessarily have to be a therapist to know that you have to protect yourself from people mm -hmm. and what they give off. Right. So let's just start there of what you have to do mm -hmm. to just sort of like protect yourself day in and day out mm -hmm. from what you're hearing. Well, um, I definitely have to practice what I preach. <laughs> um, but of course, there's a whole lot more meaning in that cliche. And so um, if you were to ever talk to me, you would learn a thing about me is I love words and I love cliches because <laughs> of the depth and the meaning that's in a cliche. And so something like I practice what I preach means that um, I have to actually be in practice every single day. Um, usually for me, um, always working on my awareness of me and how that changes. It changes um, every time we meet new people, every time we have adjustments in our relationship, every time we go through a serious event in our lives. Um, so to be human is to change, right? And one of the most difficult things for humans to do. And so I am constantly in touch with that change. Every day is a new experience. It's a new understanding. And so with age comes wisdom, right? <laughs> and you don't get wise unless you accept these adjustments and these changes in yeah. your life. So I am constantly, I can't express that enough, mm -hmm. like tapping into me, listening to me, and you understand what my body is saying to me, and then listening yeah. with actual adjustment. And so that way, it keeps me in a very kind of calm, um, and it keeps me very aware when I'm not calm, mm -hmm. when um, something that I engage maybe in, in, in a talking process stays with me. Um, my body tells me and I listen. Mm. And so that's a practice, you yeah. know, because if we're listening based on old messaging, yeah. well, then we're going to do the wrong thing. Did you learn how to listen or did you always know how to listen? Um, I always did it, but didn't know what I was doing. Gotcha. Okay. And so I was always aware of me and the impression I was making, but I didn't know like what that was. I hmm. knew how, you know, to kind of move in a way that made sense to me and that felt good. Um, had a lot of role models of what not to do, you know. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. I really, really got a handle on the what. Right. And, and not just the what, but from um, an evidence base mm -hmm. um, and from research and from the actual impact, yeah. psychological impact on the brain. So it took um, what I was doing to the level of practice mm -hmm. and, and intention. Yeah. And you do have to live that way. It is the practicing what you're preaching. Mm -hmm. 
I'm always so fascinated. Something you talk with me about often in our sessions is how important it is to feel, mm -hmm. feel the change or feel the epiphany or feel any of those things. Because if you're just telling me, if you're just teaching me, right. it's not necessarily going to make an impact on me. If I don't right. feel the difference, right. where did that come from for you? So that's a philosophy. I'm eclectic in terms of my approach, but I have to admit, I do gravitate to like person-centered type modalities. I love um, existentialism, mm -hmm. right? Purpose, and that drives for meaning. I love spiritual understanding. So for me, those things don't mean anything unless it means Ooh. something. Unless we like imbue it with meaning, huh? Absolutely. Unless we feel it. Right. Me sitting across from you talking, okay, I need for you to connect with something outside of yourself. What is that? <laughs> you know, if I've never lived that way and, and no one's ever talked to me like that, yeah. how can I tell you yeah. to do something like that without you having the experience of what that is? So to me, um, meaning is the key. Meaning is the key to change. I love Freud. Freud is the foundation of human behavior. Mm -hmm. And so to feel is to be human. Mm -hmm. So to be able to promote change is to feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I just feel like uh, one, it comes from, you know, my theoretical study. Mm -hmm. I really dove into the theories mm -hmm. and I just found so many pieces that had so much meaning to help people yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. It's about helping people. So how do you help people? You know, not gender, not mm -hmm. age but people. And so um, for me, that's the thing that stuck mm -hmm. was change, right? We cannot not change, but humans resist change. Mm -hmm. So how do we help promote change? And yeah. for me, and I experiment a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I've found that to be through meaning. Yeah. You know, if I can take an individual and help them have an experience, then it just creates meaning. Mm -hmm. And so me on the other side as the, you know, practitioner, provider, you know, whatever role I'm, I'm parent, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever role we're operating in, the, the spouse, the wife, the friend, that's the best way I can help. If mm -hmm. I can help that person have an experience, then everything that I do after that is so much easier. Hmm. It's so much easier and it's so much easier for the person to make the choice to do something that's very difficult, yeah. which is to change. Uh, let's talk about all of your history in athletics, because I think this is, when I realized that you used to be an NFL cheerleader, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is this is amazing. D just tell me about this time in your life yeah. when you're an NFL cheerleader, and then all the work that you've done with, I believe, NFL athletes, but just pro athletes in general, too, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... You know, third third time's a charm. Like it took three times <laughs> to make the squad. So um, and so for me, when I got here, Tennessee was so easy to navigate for me. Yeah. Right. Coming from Atlanta and oh, and Chicago. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah. I was like, still oh. small town. I, I call this still a big small town. Yeah. It's just a small town. I could get in a car and be there in ten minutes. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, I could do this, right? Yeah. And so. Um, we started to go through the process of um, the auditions and, you know, kind of mm -hmm. going. Th and when I did it, I mean, it was it was like, what, like two months, like a two-month-long process. Wow. And um, 
I went through it three times. <laughs> and that last wow. time, I was just like, why am I doing yeah, this? Yeah, and if this isn't it, like, this, it's right. over. Yeah, I well. Like, I guess this is just, you know, I don't, it's not something I need to do. And, and, and they begged me, you got to do it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. And I was, I was underwhelmed. I was mm. listless. Mm. I was just like, okay. whatever. Mm-hmm. And they call my name. I could. They call my. I was like, <laughs> "What's that phenomenon where it's like, like you don't want it and suddenly, or you don't care rather if you right. get it and then suddenly you get it? It's like, right. oh, I felt like I was at my worst. Oh wow! I put the least attention into my makeup, and mm. you know, I always now I will admit, like when I started doing it, I was like really into like you know snapping and being on stage you know I, stu- I studied theater oh right so I kind of I think I kind of understood the stage a yeah, little the performative right like yeah. performative aspect of it so I was always into the performance I was like okay I got to make sure that I hit that I'm downstage and you know wear these colors and make sure that there's something mm. you know stands out you know in the dress and things like that so I was like trendy that way mm-hmm. and um it was interesting to see some of what I did in going through the tryouts actually end in the uniform. Wow. So that was really cool. Um, but I did it for six years. Whoa. I did it for six years. I was a captain for three years. What? And my last year, I was the Pro Bowl cheerleader. Girl, <laughs> so, that is so cool. Yeah, so. I know that, I mean, you were obviously an athletic person. You wouldn't have gotten to that to that stage without mm-hmm. having a background in athletics. You also have a fascination with athletes and helping athletes. Yeah. What is it about athletes that's so fascinating to you? And and I'm talking like clinically. What mm-hmm. is that for you? Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think athletes get a fair shake in terms of um, the psychological process that takes place when you become an athlete, um, and and not just an athlete, but a winning athlete. Um, usually, I don't know any athletic team that you're going to be coached that's not going to coach you to win. And so when we put ourselves in, in that kind of a space and then we're coached, we're coached as a team for a common goal. That's how the brain works. Um, we, we go through stages of development through accomplishment. And once we develop a certain level of accomplishment, it catapults us to another psychological area of development. And so what athletes don't get a fair shake on is how do I deal with my psychological understanding, how my psyche speaks to me when I'm not accomplishing. Mm, When I'm not winning. Right. Because winning and accomplishing are the same thing for an athlete. For an athlete, absolutely. So now, say you take um, the athlete... um, away from his or her platform. You just, what, what are you gonna do next? So you, you, you know, you're not going to help them with the transition. I, I, what I find with athletes that I see currently is their struggle is what do I do with this energy? And, to, and you're saying physical energy? Like I've got all this physical energy? All or? of it, all of it. People that are athletes there is something about them that allows them the ability to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. There is a, a wherewithal to stay with it, to fight, to not give up, to complete, to um, pull your teammates along, you know? And so 
this becomes a way of life. Yeah. And the only way of life, certainly because they start so young and become professional. Yes. And they make money and they have notoriety for all of that. Come on, look at all those rewards. (laughs) Yeah. Why why would you do something else? And so when the athlete um, gets injured or, you know, is, 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 it's a business change, you know, and now they're, you know, waiting for a phone call, you Mm -hmm. know, or, um, you know, age out. Yeah. You know, or maybe they play college and then don't go any further than that. I mean, there's so many situations where nobody is is paying attention to, okay, what about the psychological processing of that human being, of that individual? Now, what do they do? Now, what's next? And so Sometimes people think, okay, if you made some investments, you go whatever, oh, yeah. whatever. You're, oh, you're fine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You're, you've got money, you're mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to connect the dots with the layperson's world with the way they've learned it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes kind of taking that energy and helping them understand how do we transition that kind of energy in a way that you're operating in this world. Hmm. Now, the best way for me to explain this to help it make sense is the military population. So I've got a big background with working with military people. And this is a very common theme, especially if they have any kind of um, combat um, experience or maybe just a um, combat company. Well, I almost think, too, it's probably even more heightened because this is not just win or lose. This is live or die. So this is a this is a next level. Right. Wow. Right. So you don't walk away from that and become a different person. When you're an athlete, that is who you are. So knowing how to take who you are and then make what you are applicable to your life, make it work for you is necessary. It's necessary. So I think, I don't think athletes get a fair shake. And so what I find myself doing a lot of when I work with people that are athletes is helping them take, um, you know, their philosophies, you know, um, the thing that drove them when they were, they were playing their sport and, and, you know, well, you know, some of them are really uh, staunch um, um, health, health understand, understanders and, and have to eat this way mm. and have to care for my body's body. a temple. Mm-hmm. Some of them are really uh, astute and no one knows it, you know, but they're used to applying that structure to the game. Right. And so we have to find ways to take this this energy, mm. this this movement that's constantly there. And then what's the thing that we're going to apply it to? And then how do we apply it so that you still have that athletic movement that process Mm. and so the athletic movement might be um when you wake up you feel like you need to go right so maybe you have a schedule where you get up and then you work out Um, maybe we start to pay attention to what you're eating so that you feel a little bit more comfort in how you're eating Um, maybe we'll go from that to uh, writing creating a plan you know listing things but helping them to put that energy in an in a actual physical place, but also a place that helps them see where am I going next. And it's so important because athletes are doers. They are doers. And a lot of athletes find the ability to do in their sport. Mm-hmm. And then when you take that sport away, yeah. they have to be doing. Yeah, so you're saying there's a bigger picture there that they're... Oh, and yeah. and I'm, I'm thinking this 
impacts so much more than just professional athletes or collegiate level athletes. If you just get used to Mm -hmm. moving energy, using your energy in this way, Mm -hmm. you know, even from a young age when Mm -hmm. we start playing soccer or dance or whatever it is that we started doing, we get used to that kind of structure. And then I did find that personally for myself, getting out of college and like Mm -hmm. literally all you do is you go to work and you go home and, Mm -hmm. and, and, what do we do now? And right. it's on all of us to create schedules, but we maybe don't even know how. Right. That's right. Because if you're an athlete, all of that's created for you. Mm-hmm. Think about how an athlete moves so often. They're constantly going yep. from city to city. And that's ingrained, you know, and, and, and shoot, if you won in your sport where you're doing sectionals and district and yeah. state and you're always moving, you're always right. in a different place. And then suddenly you're not moving. You're not yeah. going anywhere. And you might... You know, you might define that as not being involved in anything, not using your abilities. You might you just might find yourself kind of going backwards, going to a low point. Yeah, I I identify with the low point. And I'm thinking for anyone who's listening too, if if they're in a low point, Mm -hmm. maybe start maybe start looking at your life in the way that the structure of an athlete. Right. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. where we start. Yes. Yes. That's really, really important. And so it just calls to mind, you know, the experience of actually working with a young guy. And he uh, he played on college level. And he, um, you know, he's in his mid-20s, so just kind of keep it there. But he he didn't realize, he, he, didn't, he didn't know that it's the energy of an athlete that was kind of pulling him down. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to quiet that, we needed to use that yeah and and then we had to help him understand how to use it Hmm. and so we started to just come up with ways where he could um, structure his thinking um, planning and scheduling um, through journaling and the planning and the structuring and the scheduling led to the journaling then got him to actually go back and then he could see the plan. And then he, uh, once he saw the plan, we said, okay, who are those things that, or people that you can talk to? And then we came up with a timeline, you know? And then this movement started mm-hmm. to move. Mm-hmm, it started mm-hmm. to move. And not only was it moving, it was connecting him to something that felt good. He didn't know how to get to that next place with all of this energy and all of this thinking that was going on. And so we had to just um, take the speed of it, yeah. receive it, and not tra- try to quiet it. Yeah, yeah. And this is who you are. This is who you are. And then put it in the place. That way you can see what it's saying. Now let's listen to it. Now then we take the next step. Yeah. And so he he's he's stuck with me. That's about maybe maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Just on that process. Yeah. And so um he's doing great now. Well, that's more proof that like if you really want to change something it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. You know, if and I also as I'm hearing that story I'm thinking so often we want to call things good or bad, mm-hmm. right? Good or bad. It's it's bad that I'm this way. It's right. bad that it, but it's good if I'm that way. Mm-hmm. No. No. Right. It's just can we just accept who we are? You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. can we just accept for a moment? And I, I feel like having a, a, a relationship, a therapy relationship with someone, hopefully mm-hmm. the person on the other side of you is saying, no, you, you this is you. Right. And this is, it's all okay. Right. And it's up to you to decide mm-hmm. if that's what you want or not. Right. right? Like, we get to be the author. Mm-hmm. We get to write the story how we want to. But if we don't like how that chapter's going... We have the agency and we have the authority right. and we have the duty 
to do something about it, to make our lives what we want them to be. Right. Right? That's right. And I and I feel like so many of us feel hamstrung mm-hmm. that we're stuck in this way and we forget that we we actually have the power have to do something power. about it. That's right. And you know, it goes to the how. And you know, I, I'm I'm a huge proponent of healthy what I call healthy supports. And it could be anything, right? It could be anybody. If you put yourself in the position of people that can offer real information, it can change your life. And so something, you know, so hard or or so confusing, it can kind of clear up those cobwebs a little bit. We talk a lot about lessons on this podcast. So I want to, I'm interested for someone like you who teaches so many lessons all the time. I, I feel like what you do is, in a sense, lessons, helping mm-hmm. people find, you know, the lesson in a situation. Right. What is the lesson that you're either consistently learning over and over again in your in your life that you've mm-hmm. noticed a pattern for, or is there something that you're learning in real time mm-hmm. that's coming up for you today? What I consistently learn every single day is you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> I don't care what experience I have. I don't care how thrown aback I am, how excited, how shocked. There is always something that's going to upcharge it. Hmm. Always. For and the worse, for the better? All of it. <laughs> all of it. And it is it is amazing to me. It is absolutely amazing for me to constantly stay in the moment. Hmm. Because no matter what I get, I always know there's no telling what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, and it is, and for me, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like for me, it is really beautiful. Um, I can go into a situation and it's just like, oh my God, it's like pulling teeth, right? And then I go in the next day and I just see this change. I'll see a, like a, a metamorphosis, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you know you hear you hear something, and you're like, that is the most beautiful thing hmm. that I ever heard flow from a person, and then the next day you'll hear something else that you feel like that's the most beautiful thing, mm. you know. So, I think I will never cease to be amazed and learn from allowing myself to be totally available hmm. to each day and whoever presents themselves in front of me. I will never, ever cease to be amazed, and I will always respect that. Yeah, I'm hearing awe and wonder from you in the mm-hmm. way you talk about that. And also, I'm like, I get releasing expectation about what something's supposed to be, and just, mm-hmm. it's the present-mindedness, it's oh, the yeah. mindfulness that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Oh yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. I have what I call mindfulness moments. (laughs) We wrote a blog about it at the happy hour. But that is a huge piece for me. And I think if we can slow down and see these moments, like there are small miracles that happen every single day. They're small miracles, and I just tap into them. Sometimes I see see them in children. Mm. Sometimes I see them in animals, you know? And sometimes I see it like just in the, the, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes it's the way the, the sun is hitting the water like just right oh, at a certain yeah. hour. You know, it, yeah. but we just miss so much. Right. And, and I just tap into as much as I can and every single day. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just blown away. 
I feel that truly when I look at trees, and you and I have this shared love of trees, mm-hmm. but when I sometimes like the root structure of a tree just mm-hmm. gets me like, whoa, mm-hmm. or the way that a branch has grown. Right. I'm like, wow. And right. it and it does, you have actually helped me to do that, to help me to just stop mm-hmm. and go, have this mindfulness moment. And right. Four seconds of checking in can be enough sometimes. Oh, you know, yeah. the the 60 seconds I take to hold my cup with hot tea, mm-hmm. breathe and take a sip and then move on. Like right. those things are dropping in uh-huh. and, and then go about your day. And those right. things do help. God, yes, they help they me do. tremendously. They do. You know, something that I reflect on a lot is um, the wonder of the mm. human body, mm. you know? And sometimes I just stop and pay attention to the fact that I'm breathing. Mm. And you right? probably didn't even realize you were breathing, right? It, we just do it without even thinking right. about it until we draw attention to it. And, and, and the fact that the fact of that automatic process, it what, it's what creates life. Like mm. if you were to stop and you hold your breath, you, you cease to live. And that's a miracle that automatically, you know, we just exist and we go and we do and we do so much and and we 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 build and you know we create and then we're this very delicate structure mm-hmm. that's being held together with the ability to breathe and sometimes i just sit and i reflect on that and i and i have gratitude in that i have gratitude in that and if you think about something that you went through that was really hard for you and and what it it required and, and all the things you had to do and how long it took. There's things that we've done difficult that's taken years to get to the other side of it. Oh, yeah. And you took breath mm. through the whole process and probably never realized it and probably never realized your ability through that very delicate process to get you through years Get, get you through something devastating, war, yeah. right? Um, trauma. Loss, grief. Right. So I, I reflect on the breath a lot. It, it's for me, it's a really good grounding tool for me. Um, if if I feel pulled by the world, you know, like you've got to do this, you got to do that, why did you do that, you know, I, I, I go back to that very delicate but strong ability and I just calm myself and I just focus on it. And and when I pay attention to it, that's the only time that I notice, oh, am I doing it right? You know, sometimes I'll pay, I'm like, well, shoot, I didn't even realize I didn't know how to breathe. You know, it's like, <laughs> There's what? all kinds of styles of breathing. I find right. it to be fascinating. It is fascinating. It is. And so I think it's a very good way for people to start, mm. you know, and it helps to ground you. It helps to quiet you. It messages to the body. So through our breath, we message to our physical bodies and to our psychological bodies and we don't even realize it. So even if we're, you know, we're novice in terms of self-awareness and understanding this stuff of mindfulness, that's you can just start with just breathing, just your breath. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's a way to just drop in, isn't it? It is. I find that um, you know, the more I have meditated and taken time for silence in these last several months, mm-hmm. I've found that as I talk about it, people say to me, I've, gosh, I've heard it so many times where people are like, how do you get your mind to stop? My mind won't stop. My mind won't stop. I can never get it to stop. Mm-hmm. And I'm never quite sure what to tell those people. Mm-hmm. What What would you say for people who are like, I, I, I mean, yeah, I can breathe for a second and then immediately right. my mind's somewhere else. Yeah. So just like we mentioned before, you know, 
at a different place depending on who it is. But listen to it. Hmm. Like, what is it saying to you? Instead of wanting it to stop, instead of requiring it to stop, instead of the expectation that it should stop, Mm. listen to it. Hmm. Now, sometimes I have to do that um, with them. You know, when we start that process, I I do it in the support with me there, right? Um, Depending on, you know, the level of the situation that might be necessary. But listen to it. Yeah. Listen to it. Listen to what it's saying. If it's coming through you, it's coming from a very real place. Yeah. Right? And we can put aspects of ourselves on a shelf. But if we put it on a shelf, it's going to jump off eventually. <laughs> right. And be like, hey, you're not paying attention to me. Stop pushing me away. Stop avoiding me. Absolutely. Stop pretending like I'm not there. It's going to show up. It's going to be seen. It's going to be heard. And so, you know, if we keep coming up with ways to not hear it, right, then it's going to manifest itself in other ways. Mm. But it's going to be heard. Yeah. So if I can, you know, you know, come in contact with somebody at the point to where it's just a racing thought, well, shoot, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you have so much background in helping mm-hmm. people that are like in serious mental health crises. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is an amazing uh, foundation for you. I, I almost wonder, like sometimes I think about the work that you do and I think about the continuum of like if someone's at serious mental health um, instability, right? Mm-hmm. So like hit, that's one side of the continuum. What's the other side of the continuum? Mm-hmm. For example, if someone's coming to you and they're okay, they're somewhat stabilized, but they know they want other mm-hmm. things in their life, they just don't know what that is. Right. What in your mind triggers mm-hmm. to say, all right, we have a few steps to go through. Mm-hmm. And I, as Tanya Dixon, your therapist, I'm going to take you through these next few steps. So what is that other side of the continuum? And what yeah. does it look like? So you have you have those that um, like they need medicine. They need to um, stabilize chemically. Mm. before you can do anything. And then you have the total opposite that are 100% stable yeah. chemically. They are functionally uh, functioning fabulously, right? And they feel like, what do I have to worry about? Yeah. And, and they're lost, mm. right? So the person that has to be stabilized chemically and they're lost, and the person that has everything functioning, um, everything that they need, and they're lost. Mm. That's the total opposite end of the spectrum. And so that person that um, has everything available, they're functioning, they're doing it right, they cannot rationalize to themselves why they are lost. Right, right. I have everything going for me. Mm-hmm. I have this job. I have this family. Mm-hmm. I'm healthy. Why is this wrong? What's wrong with me? Why am Why am I not? Mm-hmm. Fill in the blank. Right. And so the missing piece is if you're lost or if you feel lost or if you feel backed into a corner, if you feel like you don't have solution, that is what puts you in touch with disconnect. Okay, so now you've got the chemical disconnect, right? And then you have like, we call it kind of extraneous variables, you know, variables outside of yourself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that That can also push you into disconnect. Yeah. And so your job then is to get someone reconnected with 
body, mm -hmm. reconnected with self, mm -hmm. reconnected with needs, wants, desires? Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? My approach is kind of, um, I, I, I am huge on self-awareness. Mm -hmm. I feel like if we can get to a place to where we can kind of trust what our bodies are saying, then we can kind of um, be a little bit more intentional yeah. about what we do. So my approach is to kind of, okay, let's um, let's pay attention first. Like we said, well, what do you want? What do you, um, we pay attention to kind of how people define words. I'm really careful and yeah. just moving on what a person says. We kind of go through the process of developing meaning mm -hmm. in what they're saying because sometimes, you know, like we said, right, wrong, good, bad, right? Yeah. You know, when someone says, well, this is good, well, yeah, it's good because you're successful, but it's not good that you're overworked yeah. and you're very tired and you never make time for yourself. And you're going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and those panic attacks, they those ain't good either. Right. <laughs> so their definition of good yeah. is not something that I would use yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we would work through how they define things, um, get them to a healthier understanding. That's why I use healthy a lot. Mm -hmm. um, just a healthier understanding of what good means for them yeah so yeah. in this field we do what we call operationally defining mm -hmm. that means um in the actual operation of what we're doing now yeah. what does that word mean so you find that a lot in research you know we'll, we'll operationally define for the sake of the research so for the sake of this research for this individual good is good if the person is not tired at the end of the day mm, right yeah. and so then we will devise you know um, solution around that definition of good yeah. so sometimes you have to work through the person a little bit on how they see words yeah. because what they're doing is directly connected to their words yeah gosh words have so much power don't mm -hmm. they they have so much power and so much meaning and we don't even i think i think what you've talked about with awareness is just so crucial because we just go through life and we just, golly, I mean, it's like we are blindfolded and we, yeah. how many times have we driven somewhere and we're like, oh, how did I even get here? I, mm -hmm. I wasn't even present for it. My mind was in this other place yeah. and we never have practices that bring us into that moment. It's why I love actually yoga so much is mm -hmm. the, my yoga teachers will always say, you know, um, for this next hour. Mm -hmm. All that matters is this rectangle. This right. this rectangle of your mat mm -hmm. is all that that matters. And right. when you when your mind wanders away, bring it back lovingly. Bring it back to this present moment, right. this space, this time, and connect mind, body, spirit all together. Right. And and truly, without for me, without that practice, right. I I wouldn't have a, a way to even know how to do that because we're just so disconnected all the mm -hmm. time. So. Mm -hmm. I, you've helped me see how important it is to go through life being connected again, yeah. reconnecting again to like this moment, this time, mm -hmm. these words, the power in these words. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Gosh, it just gives such an acceptance for whatever whatever comes. Right. And we got to remember to practice. Mm -hmm. we, we have to allow ourselves to keep learning it because we're changing. Yeah, We're constantly changing and um, we become creatures of habit. So we have to really be careful of that. Absolutely. In the two decades or so that you've done this, have you noticed a, a trend or a difference in what people are coming to you for? Oh, my goodness. And, and explain, like, I, I guess the continuum of what that's yeah. become, what it is, what it was, what it is now. Yeah. So I'll, I'll speak first to the trend. Um, it is a mindfulness trend. 
it is a mindfulness trend. And I don't mean in terms of um, the therapeutic approach of mindfulness, because usually you have to explain to people that this model is rooted in research. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, right? Yeah. But the trend is to quiet the body. You know, the trend, excuse me, is not so much to meditate. They, they feel like if you say meditation, you're more you know, on a spiritual realm, but to quiet the body, yeah. um, to find ways to message calm, quiet, peace, um, affirm something that's comforting, um, stimulate the brain in a way to de-escalate the body. And you, you're saying people are coming to you because they need that, or they're saying that they need mm -hmm. that to you? They're saying that they want something that's more mindful, mm. not mindfulness. They're saying that um, they're interested in learning more about meditation. Yeah. You know, they're saying that, um, oh, um, I've heard about these crystals, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And um, before the last maybe five years, I've never really? been approached with those types of models. But you have to understand that, you know, my, my past work was in severe and persistent mental illness, yeah. severe and persistent. So there was always a huge emphasis on stabilizing, mm -hmm. um, almost always engage in a situation that we just have to stabilize for safety. Yeah. Right, right. And then after that, the person, they get better, they feel better, and then they're gone. Yeah. So right. they're not necessarily uh, in a life improvement phase. They're mm -hmm. just, hey, don't hurt yourself, don't hurt others, yep. triage. Right, and not understanding there's so many more phases. Right. There's so many more phases. And so um, so that's a very nice trend to see. Yeah. Um, also, people understanding that way of helping themselves as an actual therapeutic approach. Yeah. So I love that trend. We're seeing people at a place where they are, they want to renew themselves mm. to feel okay with where they sit in mm. our present tense. People are really struggling with what they have learned. And I speak a lot about society just because, um, once again, that's the area that Freud was really. Yeah. And it interests on. you. It does, because it's the origination of everything. It's how we became um, original in how we operate, right? We can study the history of people, and we see how people existed, right? And then you implement um, civilization and society. That was the beginning of the structure of how we came to define why it's yeah. necessary to whatever, fill in the blank. Right. And then with that structure comes with structure in the psychological process. So I always kind of go back to those places with people mm -hmm. to help them understand, you know, how do I get better with where I sit now? And I don't think I've ever worked so hard in this area with the high functioning population. Before now, um, it was what I expected to do with certain populations. Um, but currently, people are really wanting to um, kind of have peace, mm. have peace with everything that's been socialized, everything that has been um, politicized and expressed. And they want to understand. They want to understand, and they want to feel good about how they go forward. Yeah, And so... 
in the business of helping people, I'm used to, you know, um, usually it's how I feel. Um, I do what I do, but all of a sudden something feels different in my body. You know, I want help. Or um, I do what I do and suddenly this thinking is different, right? But currently it's like, this is what I've learned. This is, I didn't know this was true. Mm. And and I'm not okay with it, or I don't know how to process it. What do I do with it? Yeah. What do I do next? What should I do about it? Yeah. You know, those kinds of questions. And, and they don't, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is they're sitting in that space, and they don't know how to go forward, and they need someone to even just be the sounding board or mm-hmm. say, hey, have you looked here? Mm-hmm. Have you looked here mm-hmm. and and let's figure this out together. Right. I I just wonder how you're able to help so many different people who need so many different things, mm-hmm. and and is that where we always come back to feeling of like, well, what feels right? Right. Is that is that what you feel like is like the north star? Is mm-hmm. going back, checking in inwardly. Now that's a little bit. <laughs> is that too generic? It's it's <laughs> kind of complex because yeah. sometimes people are not able. Yeah. to go there. They got to do some work first. Okay. You know, um, the thing about what I do, it's always about timing. It's always about when the person is ready, you know, and there's things that, you know, you see when a person sits in front of you, ways and you can go directions, you know, but it's all about the person. So sometimes I'm not able to have them use themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I have to be the direction. Yeah. And and sometimes they will pull so close to that and they'll trust that. And so they will use me as as a guide mm-hmm. and then kind of define themselves a little bit, understand kind of, you know, where they're missing and feel a little bit firmer and how they're deciding and choosing. Get some confirmation, get some benefit. Mm-hmm. And then we can start to say, OK, you know, yeah. now, you know, that you've done that and you feel like this what do you think about if you were to do that again and then slowly kind of you know creating that foundation creating that stability and then you know we start to say okay you've got to trust that you know so you know sometimes we can do that a little bit more quickly yeah and then you know sometimes we we really can't I'm I'm curious because I am someone who requires time alone, mm-hmm. but I don't often get it. And so I have to kind of claw at different places to just sort of have the silence to create or the silence to think or the silence to feel. Mm-hmm. How have you carved your day mm-hmm. in a way that allows you to have that space that you were talking about earlier about like mm-hmm. needing to be able to practice what you're preaching for other people? Right. How do you carve out your day? And then also how many hours a day even do you say like, mm-hmm. hey, this is the boundary. This is what I have to have right. to continue to have, you know, a, st- a stable mental health, to be mm-hmm. stable in, the, in my ability to help others as well. Yeah. So I, I use reflection. I always reflect. I always reflect on, on um, where I want my day to go. So it might be when I wake up in the morning. Um, it might be before I go to sleep. It might be um, if I have a particular date coming up, then I will reflect. I'll reflect ahead of time. Um, We don't understand the power of visualization. Once again, that mindfulness Mm -hmm. kind of understanding. But visualization is really powerful. And so I will reflect um, on, you know, 
what took place previously? Uh, what, what do I want to take place this time? Um, how do I want it to end? And so once I get started, I already have kind of this, this feeling in my body of where I'm going before it even starts. I have cutoff times. Mm. I have cutoff times. And I don't usually express this to like the people that I actually do work with. But I have cutoff times. For um, yourself. Absolutely. Um, where I say, okay, I'm not doing any more work today. And, and what is that? Is that the same time every day or is that like a feeling? What is it? It depends on when I start. It depends on when I start. And I will not work over seven hours at the most eight. And I feel like the eight-hour workday is the workday that has become the thing and the norm that is too much. And so why would I allow myself to do more than what is already too much? Mm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, mm -hmm. I like that. Why would I allow myself to do more than, than what, what is, is already, already too much? much? Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great line. <laughs> it's something, I mean, I'm learning that in real time. I find that like I can do all these things. And so I do do all these things. And I'm in this space right now, as you well know, where I'm trying to pull myself back from things of like, just because mm -hmm. I can do it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it was good for me, right. <laughs> you know. Doesn't mean it was healthy for me. That's right. Um, and how do I create a system around me mm -hmm. where I can say, no, this this cuts off at this time. Right. I'm so amazed that you'll do that for yourself. So once you mm -hmm. cut yourself off at this after the seven hours, mm -hmm. what is it then? Is mm -hmm. it well, I need to I need to do some laundry mm -hmm. and I need to feed myself mm -hmm. and I need to move my body? Is that the time that you spend in yes, that space? I do. Um, usually when I stop working. Um, I kind of sit back and then I'll be like, hmm, what do I need to do? Yeah. You know, it, it becomes what do I, I have need. to get done, yeah. right? Yeah. Because usually when we work, yeah. we don't do what we need to do until we're off and we're yeah. never off. Right. Oof. This yes. is hitting me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're never off. Right. Right. And so I cut my work day off. I include me in everything. Yeah. And anybody that, um, works with me, you know, beyond just, you know, being friends, they'll hear this language from me. We have to include ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have to include ourselves in everything that we do. Um, so when I work, include me mm. in work. Yeah. So as I work for everyone else and do all the things yeah. I have to do, I also have to do something for me. Um, even if it's, you know, washing my hair, mm -hmm. right? Even if it's getting my nails done mm -hmm. or my toes done, or um, finding that outfit that I need when I go on that appointment and yeah. already getting that set aside. Yeah. You know, it could be something very, very basic, but pull us in to mm -hmm. that work day. So when we stop working, we can actually stop working. Okay, so address the feelings of guilt that I think most women would have mm -hmm. in that. You know, like yeah. I, because I do feel this, and my husband, I've been very like forward with my husband lately saying, mm -hmm. I feel guilty when I do this. Right. And then he'll look at me like, you're crazy. Why would you feel guilty for taking the time to go get your nails done or mm -hmm. for doing this or for doing that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's something, I, I don't know. It's right. mom guilt. I don't know where it comes from. It's just there. And so he has been really helpful for me lately being like, this was just two days ago. Something happened. Uh, I forget what it was. Oh, I needed to go. I needed to go exercise, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Oh, I really need to go." But oh, I I gonna have to leave the kids. And mm -hmm. and he looked at me and he said, "Go yeah. and don't feel guilty." Right. And I was like, "Oh, thank God, mm -hmm. thank God, someone else gave me permission in my life because mm -hmm. I wasn't giving myself permission. Mm -hmm. I didn't. 
I wanted to put myself in the plan, but then I was afraid to put myself in the plan. So I want to hear from you about that. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you address the guilt that I think a lot of women feel when it comes to doing things for themselves and putting themselves in the plan? Right. It goes back to the socialization. It goes back to the socialization. I mean, we can we can speak in terms of, of just a hard line of gender, right? And if I use the word gender, then it makes sense to everyone, right? Oh, well, you know, yeah. Yeah, because men don't feel it. That's a generalization. But right, right. my husband doesn't. He doesn't feel guilty going to work out. That's what I'm saying. We can put it in that hard line, and then it suddenly makes sense. But it doesn't help or give the explanation to the individual person. And so, once again, socialization is this big old hodgepodge of um, Western culture. And then it's the culture of tradition that becomes a little bit more defined. Then it comes to, becomes the culture of family. Then it becomes the experiences of family. You know, what did you see that you didn't totally. like? What did you yeah. see that whatever, whatever, whatever. And so then you become this, this hybrid mm-hmm. of all of these areas. And then now you're operating out of what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've learned, and then how you've learned to do it, and then how society sees you when you do it. Mm -hmm. And it's all programming, and it's stuck in there. Absolutely. It takes work to unpeel that stuff. Yes, it does, (laughs) because it's connected to feelings and emotions. It's connected to how, as a human being, how you are, are, are kind of developed into feeling into being, into doing. So that's why I don't like to speak in those big terms, Mm. gender, you know, whatever. Because once you say that, people's like, oh, okay, yeah. It's so much more complex. Oh, yeah. Mm. And so we might think that once you hear something, you know, oh, I'm going to stop doing that. Try it. Try. (laughs) Try. Yeah, no. And you're not going to. Like you might have the mindfulness for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks on something mm-hmm. and then you either give up or you go back to your old programming or right. you go back you go back to your old ways. It is hard yes, it is. to change a person. Mm-hmm. It it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um God, it's just so hard. And I I think about the the adage people don't change. Oh, people can change, Mm -hmm. but it takes effort, Mm -hmm. major effort, major intention. It does. People have to want it. Mm -hmm. They they have to want it because it is so distasteful, you know, and I just, that's the best word for it, you know. It is distasteful. So why would people want to? So there has to be something. That's why the meaning is so important. There's got to be something to battle that distaste, Mm -hmm. right? And, And if... We can come up with something, and a lot of times people say, you know, it's my my children, you know. Um, yeah, my, like they're my why, mm-hmm, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, my spouse, or, you know, there's a there's something that's important enough for this fight. Yeah. And then, then we've got something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then that kind of, you build supports around that, right? Mm-hmm. Around that maybe desire or that view of what your life should be or could be. Yeah. Tanya, you've done so great today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was fun. (laughs) Tables turned. (laughs) I just can't say it enough, you guys. That woman has been a gift to me. She's given me the tools to work through some major, major traumas that I've had. It gives me a beautiful example of the dance between the analytical and the mystical and how to be comfortable moving throughout it. Now, if you find you also need help, it doesn't have to be for trauma. 
you can go for anything. Just have someone to talk to. But I would encourage you to get into a therapy relationship with someone you connect with. Just because a person has letters behind their name, it does not mean that you're going to immediately click with them and you're going to share your deepest and darkest. It's important that you have a relationship that's a, a partnership, honestly. So find someone who can really help you, who makes you better. That's so important. Coming up next week on Amstigator, I go deeper into something that we talked about in this episode, how to change your patterns. There's a lot of research around neuropathways and how they dictate what you believe. But what if those beliefs are just flat out lies and you need to rewire them? How do you do that? I'm sharing an unconscious belief I'm working through right now and I teach you what the research says about how you can do the same thing. As you go through this week, I encourage you to shine your light, lead with your heart, and live life purposefully. I'm Lauren Lowry, and this is Amstigator. Amstigator.